Welcome to NL Full Time. I'm Luke Edwards. Merry Christmas to everyone. We are back after a couple of weeks hiatus. Blame the weather, it's fair to say. There's no point reviewing about six games across three divisions and the FA Trophy. So we left it and had a little break. And uh, joining us this week, we have Dickie Wharton. Hello, Dickie. Merry Christmas to you, Luke. Good to see you. And also with us, we have the author of the Off The Line blog. You can see his half-season teams of the year so far. He's picked his teams for the National League and the North and South. Uh, it's Joe Pope. Hello, Joe. Yeah, thanks for having me on again. Merry Christmas to our listeners. It's nice to be back uh, podding about uh, the National League. I can see Joe's had a nice Christmas trim as well. So, uh, all good. All good. Um, in terms of uh, the results at the top, uh, I'm guessing the results that stand out for you are the top three all winning and all winning well, and especially Notts County, who didn't have Macaulay Langstaff, who's, who's injured. Um, but good, comprehensive. Well, Chesterfield only won 2 1 at Scunthorpe, but it sounded comprehensive, didn't it? But Notts County 4 1 at home against Oldham, Wrexham 5 0 at home against Solihull. They're, they're the standout results, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Notts County, that would have been the big one, you know, because there are people that say that Langstaff may leave in January. They've now won quite handsomely without him. Granted, they were playing Oldham. Um, I've made it quite clear on my blog that I don't think David Unsworth is right for them. And if they continue with him, they will go down. Um, but it's a good win for Notts County. Um, and it's good to, to go into the new year still top of the league. Um, you talked about Wrexham. Good win for them. But, you know, Solio Moores have kind of dropped off of late. You know, they, they beat Dickey's team in the FA Trophy, which is... Uh, not really anything to write home about, I suppose. We made it hard work for him. We made it hard work for him. But, uh, yeah, you know, they, they, they've been struggling, um, you know, been struggling to score. Um, and now they've struggled, you know, keep a clean sheet. Obviously, Wrexham, when they turn it on, can score five against anybody. But, you know, disappointing for them. And then, obviously, Chesterfield, of, all the, of those three teams, they're the, perhaps not the most free-flowing of sides. You know, they have to win, you know, sort of by the odd goal. Um, I actually think I'm, in my half-season review, I said that I think they've won something like eight or nine games by just the one goal this season. Um, and then obviously, you know, for Scunthorpe, um, I actually put yesterday, it's the curse of Cowlin because mm. four games, Cowlin Avery scored first and yeah. they've gone on to concede something like 12 goals across Whenever the four Whenever you look games. at it, you notice he scored and they've scored first, first through him and then they've gone on and lost, haven't they? Yeah, and you know, that's the... That's the difference, you know, for for Scunthorpe, given their struggles, they score first and you want to see them then kick on. But, you know, the other team ups their game and they just haven't got the fight, you know, in their side to to cope with it. You know, they're going to lose Rob Apter now to Blackpool. Um, I believe he's going back. Um, so, yeah, it's not good for Scunthorpe and they'll be hoping that 2023 brings them a little bit better fortunes than 2022. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's... Uh, three good wins for the top teams. And as Adam Summerton said yesterday, we could have um, a situation where we have two teams, certainly Notts County and Wrexham, where they they finish with 100 plus points. Dickie, um, I've got the tea towel. I'll get rid of that burn that Joe's just thrown your way. Um, <laughs> That's all right. I'm, I'm a man who's down and I'm used to getting kicked at the moment. So... <laughs> It was actually for Paul Mullin for Wrexham, but Solihull Moors, I was, I was going to say, you saw them midweek and they're in the last playoff place, but are they underachieving a little bit still, even though they are in the playoffs? 
Yeah, on Tuesday was a bit strange one. I wasn't quite sure which team, what kind of team they were going to put out against Telford because not having played for two weeks, I did think Neil Ardley might be tempted um, to play a full-strength eleven to get them back up to speed for the fact that they were playing Wrexham home and away over the Christmas period. He didn't do that. Um, it took until about 70 minutes on the clock for them to get the goals against Telford. A, a quick one-two from Joe Sabar and Ryan Barnett who both came on and within about five minutes of being on the field, they both scored, um, which kind of underlined to me the importance of the, those players and, and that perhaps maybe there isn't the depth there in Solihull squad that there was last year. Um, they weren't helped yesterday by the fact that Kyle Storer, their captain, on his 200th appearance for Solihull as well. So he, he marked that with a, a, a traditional red card. Um, he just picked up a few, uh, unfortunately. They were 2-0 down at the time and then Rex ran away with it in the last quarter of an hour or so. Hayden and Mullen, uh, he got two to, to get his hat-trick. Um, I don't know if Solihull are underachieving. I, I, I think my perception is they're slightly weaker this year. Um, and I still think they're a good bet to be a playoff side, but yeah, I I don't think the table's lying at the moment. I think they probably are on the fringes of it, but they're not a, um, a cast iron contender for a playoff spot uh, this season. I don't think. Yeah, and and Chesterfield, as you mentioned there, Joe, one player who's really in form who. I was a bit surprised that Chesterfield paid a fee for him last year because he's never been prolific as Joel Quigley, but he's really stepped up in the last few weeks, hasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, it's another team at the top which could go into January fearing that they could lose a striker. You know, I expect there will be reports and interest in Kabongo Shimango again. Um, you know, and Joe Quigley's been brilliant. You know, he's not the flashiest, but he's scoring goals. And for, you know, for a Chesterfield side that, as I said, you know, they're, they're very much substance over style, uh, you know, someone at the top of the end of the pitch that, you know, can give them a platform, but then also has found his goal scoring touch this season. Uh, he's been really, really good for Chesterfield. And I think of all the players this season for Chesterfield, apart from possibly Jeff King and, and Darren Oldacre, then you'd probably say that Joe Quigley has been Chesterfield's best player this season. So yeah, good, good for him. You know, it's a hard working forward and it's nice to see that he's getting the goals to go with it now. Yeah, Woking are in fourth. They beat Aldershot in the uh, the big derby down there. Um, and Rob, I know, said it was, I think, the first time Woking have beaten Aldershot in five, six years in the league. I think they beat them in a trophy a couple of years ago. Um, he said it, he sent me this carefully prepared statement that I have to read out on his behalf. <laughs> and he said that both sides were in decent form going into the game. It attracted the biggest crowd at the EBB Stadium in five years, which was 4,600. And he said Woking deservedly won in the end. Um, and it was a tough game for the shots defender, Corey Jordan, who considered a penalty from which Reese Brown put the cards ahead on 10 minutes. And then a deflected Jim Kellerman cross into his own net, uh, ended up putting Woking 2-0 up. And then shots made it... Tough at the end in the F. Young's 89th minute penalty got them back in the game, but the cards held on and um, he caught up after the game with Joe Partington, who was Aldershot's captain, and also he caught up with Darren Saal. I thought we were a better side. I thought the shape was good. I thought physically we were really, really good, very athletic, very dynamic. And all you can ask of your players is that they, 
they show resilience and character and, and they did that in abundance. It was a, an interesting atmosphere in the ground at times because even though Woking brought over a thousand fans, which was tremendous, it wasn't a party atmosphere and that's probably because of the history I'd imagine. Um, but your side showed composure and that's the most important thing and didn't really give Aldershot too many openings in the match. No, I, I thought we were strong. I, I thought the first 30 minutes in particular, we were we were very um, dominant. I think we were very dominant. Um, and then we had to, obviously, that last little bit where you have to you have to ride the storm. But I don't think Craig's had massive amounts to, to do today. He took one really important cross late on just to take the sting out of the game. But defensively, I thought we defended our box very, very well. We regained the ball very well in and around their, their final third. And, uh, you know, like you said, I think we were, we were good value for that one. Four Exeter Shot Town players in the Woking lineup, which means at least four players that know what it's like to play here regularly. And uh, they served you well. And particularly, I thought Jim Kellerman grew and grew into the game and he was really key in that uh, second goal. No, Jim, Jim is, uh, yeah, he does have to grow on people. <laughs> but um, he, uh, he, he's a fabulous uh, character. He's got that little bit of an edge to him as well. And he's good athletically. Thought he could have done a little bit better in possession today, which is ironic when he, he obviously lays on the own goal. Um, but I thought uh, James Daly, uh, Ince, Anderson, so powerful, athletic, so enthusiastic. I think they're really good qualities to have. And I know the club hasn't had a, a great record here over the over the last few years, but it's our job to try and turn that in our favour. Um, we did that today, knowing that we've uh, we've got to see them very soon at our place. But as you end the year, um, you're very comfortably in a playoff place, uh, fourth in the league with a 10-point cushion to the uh, eighth place. Um, and I know that's only half a job, and you'll tell me that for sure, but it's a, a promising first half of the season for you now under your belt. <laughs> yeah, but it's... Uh, it doesn't work like that, does it? it? No, it, it definitely doesn't work like that. We're not, you know, we're paid 52 weeks of the year for a reason. We have to carry on doing our job to the best of our ability. It might mean that we accumulate the same or more points in the second on the back line. It might mean we accumulate less, but we need to keep trying to do our job as well as we can. And, and like I said, I think the, the connection with the, the supporters and the players is growing because they recognise a, a willingness to try and do their job as well as they can. And I think that, that kind of human endeavour is the thing that warms uh, supporters to players. And we've got a really nice, we've got a really nice feel about us at the moment at our football club. And, John and Drew and the board are driving everything um, off the pitch and uh, it's my job to try and keep uh, in touch with their progress and make sure that we can follow that and you know the players are doing remarkably well at the minute we're still massively punching above uh, our weight and um, but we're going to keep trying to do that for as long as possible. John Boldershot Town, Skipper Joe Partington. Joe, a lot of anticipation, the Boxing Day derby against Woken, a huge crowd um, must have been a frustrating one for you and the boys who weren't quite able to deliver on the day. Yeah, it is massively frustrating, Rob. Obviously, like it's such a big game. More so, like I've not really been at any club in, in my life really where one game matters so much to people. I've obviously played in big games, but none more, no, non, no local derbies that are obviously sort of make or break results. And yeah, I think like we just fell short a little bit today. Obviously, like. Unfortunately, the, the the match report might look bad on Corey Jordan, but we've all been there and had moments, obviously, where it doesn't go quite quite well for you. And um, 
apart from the first 30 minutes maybe and, and sort of and, and between myself and the, and the management decided to, to change a couple of bits but after the first 30 minutes we, we were not much the better team but certainly the better team and had opportunities to create chances that never really came off I can remember sort of like the justice someone slipped Justin through um, Frank ball across the box a couple of crosses really good crosses in the box from wide areas that sort of just didn't fall for us like the, both penalties probably contentious in my opinion mm. but yeah no, it's like if we played any other team I'd probably say oh, that there's a right way to lose and I think that we've probably lost in the right way today but it's against the, the one team that you can't get beat by so it, yeah it's, it's really difficult a fantastic finish to the game. Obviously, the penalty's given in. He strikes it home really, really well. And those last six, seven minutes were brilliant. The keeper's up from the back. The crowd's engaged from both sides. And I, I guess the feeling was he, we wanted more of that today. And it felt maybe that, that just came about too little too late. Is that fair? Possibly, yeah. I would say that's fair, Rob, yeah. yeah. Um, I actually think, take the rivalry away, that's that's how they make games. Like, if you, if you watch Woking, they're, they're certainly not... <laughs> as a supporter, probably like I watch highlights of teams and watch most of the to the highlights of this of this level. Um, and Woking games aren't exciting to watch. Um, I think we, we've played better. We've been in more in control of the ball. But sometimes when you play against teams that set up as they do, it becomes very messy. And, and that's sort of how the game is. Um, like I said uh, before, we had opportunities to create chances that never really ended up with with goal scoring opportunities but towards the end obviously when we, when, when we put like I think it's only natural in a game when you're losing obviously to push and especially after when he scored his penalty and I get that the supporters are probably thinking why has that not happened more often but it's uh, sometimes it's just the way the game goes you know it was, I, I really think today you know today it is really difficult and I, you know, I'm probably going to be a, a difficult person to be around for the next couple of days but if it wasn't Woking You'd say we lost the game in a in a positive way. That we there wasn't any lack of effort. There may be bad decisions. Uh, like not, I mean about the officials. Mm. I mean about us in in particular. Mm. Right pass, wrong pass, r- r- right decision, wrong decision. This, that, and the other. You know, penalty decisions. What, what sort of the fine margins that football games are uh, are judged on? Um, and yeah, we were obviously the wrong side of that today, but. We've got an opportunity in, in a week's time to, to be on the right side of it, um, which doesn't really come so often. So Woking are, are flying, as are Barnet, Joe. I mean, they started the season well, they dipped, and then uh, they had a really good win in the local derby against Bournemouth, and it was fair to say there was a few Christmas cards handed out in that one as well. Yeah, a couple of Christmas cards, um, and uh, certainly Cabamba won't be putting uh, Andrade on his Christmas card list for next year. Um, but yeah, a brilliant game. Obviously, they've picked the right one for BT Sport because it was a really, really good game. Lots of drama. Um, and for Barnet, you know, they, they want to get into the playoffs and that would have been a really big test for them. You know, could they beat a Bournemouth side that that grind their way through games? And, you know, yes, it did come in the 95th minute, but having watched the game back this morning, I, I thought Barnet were really, really good. You know, they perhaps weren't as good going forward as they have been. But they're against a Bournemouth side that are very good defensive in. I thought Barnett were very good value for the win. Um, Bournemouth struggled. Um, I wasn't impressed with Bournemouth. Um, and that's the second time I've seen them this season. And they have they haven't looked as good going, you know, as a collective as they have been in previous seasons. But a good win for Barnett. Um, and hopefully, uh, you know, now that they've they've lost Nicky Kabamba for the, the next couple of games. They've been talking about the fact that they need to go and sign a striker. 
and maybe that's probably forced their hand to now go and get one. And the other team in the playoffs, the South End, they lost 1-0 at home to Bromley. Um, rather surprising result because Bromley struggled over the last few weeks. They, they got knocked out of the FA Trophy in midweek to Bath City. They were 2-0 up and then conceded two late goals. Andy Woodman was absolutely furious and eventually lost on penalties. But they bounced back to beat South End and they're only out of the playoffs now on goal difference. And in fact, if you look from Solihull in seventh on 33 points, all the way down to Darkin in 15th. I was going to mention them about, shall we say, Darkin a safe. Mark White will be looking at it going, well, we're only three points off the playoffs. So you've got eight teams there. He'll be looking at it going, do you know what? We can get in the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, uh, you know, a good win for Bromley. Um, they've dropped a lot of points of winning positions this year. Um, so they'll be pleased that they managed to hold on against a very good uh, South End side. Um, and yeah, you know, a good win for them. Obviously, after losing in the FA Trophy, um, they'd have wanted a good result going into the new year and, and they got it. Do you think it shows the inconsistency of the league this year, though, Dickie, that there is, you know, someone like Darkin could look and go, do you know what? We could be in the playoffs if we get a couple of good wins and results go for us. Um, you could call it inconsistency. Um, you could also say it's you know it's what it's a great thing about the league in that it keeps it wide open um yeah yeah i think that we're talking about we spoke about the three teams in in first second third at at the top of the show um i don't think they're a surprise to anybody really that they're there and 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 it does feel like a three horse race but i think below that it genuinely the opportunities there for for so many teams which um you know, has to be a good thing. I think I think it is a good thing in the context of the fact that, you know, it the league developed into a two-horse race between Wrexham and Stockport last year. You could see it developing into a two or two from three of the three that are at the top at the moment, um, which, you know, as, as fascinating as that is, um, I think it's great that there's another contest within the contest going on behind that for fans of other clubs really so that it's not oh it's the same old thing again just two teams vying at the top um for the for the promotion spot we're going to look down at the bottom we mentioned scunthorpe they are bottom at the minute on 16 points they're five points from safety third bottom are oldham who are only a point off safety but as we mentioned uh are struggling down there they have got a couple of games in hand on the teams above them and then in 23rd, it's Torquay, Joe. You saw them in the Joe Pope derby against Yeovil. Yeah, I had the uh, the fortune or misfortune, as you could say, of watching Torquay v Yeovil um, at uh, Playmore. But uh, yeah, I mean, Torquay were lucky in the end to get a point. Um, you know, I've been critical of Torquay this season with reason, but they were lucky to get a point. First half, they were the better side. Um had a number of chances, which they, you know, as has been sort of the theme this season, they fluffed their lines and they went in at one nil up. And ultimately it paid, you know, they paid the price. They started the second half well, but Yeovil grew into the game. Mark Cooper, you know, he's a, he's a very good manager at this level and he managed to make a couple of really good substitutions that give us a real threat, gave Yeovil a real threat. Um, you know, Alex Fisher came on and he isolated our left back. He's only about four foot, uh, five foot four. Um, they brought on a fast striker um, who gave them a bit more threat. And Malachi Linton, one of those that came on, got the goal. And Yeovil should have gone on and won it. Um, 
I said in our in our group chat, I've seen probably the worst pass I'll ever see in a game of football um, with about two minutes to go from Corey Andrews um, trying to break away and trying to cross the ball onto the other side of the pitch and set one of their players through in on goal. But um, yeah, Yeovil should have won. And, and that's the reason why they are down the bottom this season is, you know, they've what they've drawn 12 games. You know, I think outside of the top four sides in the division, no side has lost as many games as, or, sorry, Yeovil have not lost as many games as any other teams. They've only lost seven games. Um, so, you know, they, they lack that cutting edge, that bit of threat that, you know, kill a game off. So struggles for Torquay. Um, they were lucky in the end, but going into the New Year Day fixture, they're now three men short in defence. So uh, it might be a bit of patchwork on New Year's Day. I'm going to say, Joe, you mentioned in Yeovil's lack of cutting edge there. I think just before Christmas, they uh, took Jordan Maguire Drew from Grimsby, who scored the playoff winner last season. I don't think you thought that was necessarily the solution to the problem, though. No, I mean, I've watched Yeovil this season and they haven't looked too bad. You know, Oliver Bory from Peterborough, um, you know, he's got pace and he can get past players on the wing. And I think they have some good players on the wing. Um, but they've lacked that goal scorer. You know, they've, as I say, they've drawn more games than anybody. If they'd have had that striker at the top end of the pitch that could get, you know, 10 goals plus, then I think they'd be a comfortable mid-table side. Um, you know, Jordan Maguire drew, as you said there, he struggled in the first half. Um, Mark Cooper then brought him sort of into a central midfield role um, in the second half. So they allowed him to get on the ball more. And he dictated the play. You know, I thought he played really well in the second half. And I still think the problem for Yeovil is that goal scorer. You know, Louis Britton was out yesterday. Didn't He was injured, I believe. Didn't make the squad. You know, Alex Fisher came on. He did really well in holding the ball up, but, you know, still wouldn't score in a month of Sundays. Um, and, you know, Malachi Linton scored. But apart from that, they still created very little. So they need that goal scorer. And I think if Yeovil are to stay up, the owner needs to get that checkbook out and get a striker. Comfortably the lowest scorers in the division. They've only scored 18 this season. Uh, that's five less than the next worst team. So like you say, it highlights the where their deficiencies lie. And they've only conceded 22 as well. I mean, you look at that record, if they added like 10 goals to that, they'd be probably up in the upper reaches, wouldn't they? Absolutely. I mean, you know, they defensively, they are a very good side. You know, Mark Cooper, as I say, he's an experienced manager. And even under Hargreaves, you know, they, they are a very solid team. You know, they know how to grind out points. And if they do stay up, that will be the reason why. You know, they're able to find a, you know, get a, get a result from nowhere. You know, they went to Notts County. Notts County probably had 30 to 40 shots and they still managed to come away with the points. So, Yeovil are very good defensively. And if they can add that striker then you are talking about a mid-table side. I think the There's most only... eye-catching result down at the bottom, Dickie, was Gateshead going to York and winning by three goals to nil. What a massive boost that is for Mike Williamson. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, huge result that for Gateshead. Um, and um, powered along by the fact that they got Danny Elliott on board, who um, had... Um, you know, great success in the North last season at Boston United, scored uh, quite a number from the penalty spot and he got two from the spot yesterday. Um, one to put Gateshead, one up by half time, then got a second one, 68th minute and Owen Bailey added a third in the 79th. Um, they've taken him on loan from Boreham Wood where he'd been, but he's not been able to displace um, their regular starters. 
it's funny in the summer I actually thought that potentially when they lost Langstaff and when they lost Scott that Danny Elliott might be somebody that Gateshead would move for just because he seems to be more northern based he went south to Boreham Wood but he's ended up in the north um, at Gateshead in the end and I think he could be a really good acquisition for them um, clearly on the other side of that there's a lot of disappointment for uh, York City fans 3-0 defeat at home on Boxing Day it was a good crowd um, I don't think they were um, overly impressed with either the performance or the explanation of the performance from new manager David Webb after the game either I do feel a little bit sorry for him because he is fighting I'm not going to say a losing battle but he's got an uphill battle to win those fans over given how much they liked John Askey and how much they didn't like the circumstances of John Askey's removal from the post so it, it is difficult um, for David Webb there but yeah it, it, results like that aren't going to help him. It's interesting actually as well Joe you look at the two teams who won the South and North Maidstone and Gateshead they're down in the bottom reaches. Gateshead are in the, the last relegation spot. Maidstone are a point ahead of them, albeit having played two games more. Then you look at Dorkin and York, who won the playoffs, and they're, at the minute, they're, I'd say York, are, they're well, well, they're eight points clear of the relegation zone. Dorkin are 10 points clear. I mean, we mentioned them, they're only three points off the playoffs. So it's it's strange how the two teams who have won the playoffs are actually doing better than the two teams who won the divisions. Yeah, and I think... Dawkin, you know, they 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 don't change their style. You know, they came in, they have a go, and you know, they've conceded more goals than anybody else, but they score a dance like more goals than most teams. And I think that would be the reason why they stay up. And obviously, York, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not wholly convinced by this new manager yet, but they've put they've got the good foundations to build on because they had a manager in John Askey that, you know, he knows the division. And in this division, it's so important that you have that bit of experience. You know, that's why Maidenhead always stay up you know, every season because they have a manager that knows the division and John Askey brought in a group of players he knew would be good enough for this level. Unfortunately, he's not been able to to manage them for the duration, but I think both those sides will be okay come the end. And uh, as you said earlier, you know, for Dorking, perhaps if they can shore up a little bit at the back, then potentially a playoff push. Yeah, Dorking drew 1-1 with Eastley. It was a goal from Ryan Seager uh, a couple of minutes from time there, which got them the point. Dagenham and Redbridge, they won 1-0 against Maidstone to keep their playoff hopes alive. As we mentioned, Maidstone just above the relegation zone. Altrincham, a, a last-minute winner from Chris Conclark. They saw they came from behind to be FC Halifax. And Wheelstone and Maidenhead had a really good game. Wheelstone won 3-2 in the end, so a bit of a Christmas cracker there on Boxing Day, and they are into ninth position. Anything that stood out out of those three games? Um. Yeah, the Wheelstone Maidenhead game, um, another two goals for, for Aqua. I know there were some critics of him last season, um, but he's done really, really well for Devonshire's side this year. As I say, another two goals, although they didn't win the game, he's looked really, really good for, for the Magpies. Um, and uh, yeah, for Altrincham, it's, it's a funny one because I know there are reports that Ryan Colclough is off um, and leaving in January, as you'd expect for a player of his quality. And the one player that you'd want to perhaps step up, especially having lost Newby as well, the one player you'd want to step up and provide that quality, also got on the score sheet and scored the goal. So, yeah, an interesting one for Ultram. And I think it's going to be very interesting in January to see, A, whether they can keep Cole Clough, and B, whether they can replace both him and Elliot Newby. 
Yeah, and Con Clark, who's supposedly going back to Fleetwood um, in January, his loan's ending, so I don't think they'll be getting him back. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot of rumours I'm hearing about Oldham certain players are going in for, so will Oldham strengthen in January, and that'll throw it into the mix for them, getting uh, for them staying up. So, of course, the January transfer window opens in exactly three days from now, so it'll be interesting to see what the what type of business National League clubs do. A couple of other pieces of news as well. Um, three up, three down, Dicky. Uh, that's been muted again. I know our friend Tom Feeney, he tweeted out about it and uh, it's, it's on the table potentially. That's the rumour, yes. Uh, I don't think it's been confirmed anywhere. It was uh, appeared in a report in the Daily Mail um, about three or four days ago. Now, um, a far better for me to cast uh, aspersions on the quality of journalism, and the Daily Mail isn't necessarily always the most accurate. Um, but, you know, you'd have to assume that there maybe is something in that. Um, I think the big question then is, you know, how are you going to persuade clubs to vote for it? I think it might be potentially being tied into um reforms around more money filtering down from the premier league and the independent regulator and things like that so i don't think i think there's a lot of hurdles still to be jumped over before we get there um it's obviously good news for the national league if you can get three up three down because it is a vote of confidence in the quality of the league um uh, and that you know it's felt that clubs that go up do generally make a good fist of it but it is that you know, thing of getting um, turkeys to vote for Christmas, isn't it? I think it gets used so many times. And given the timing of that announcement as well, it's probably been the most well-worn phrase uh, around the three up, three down over the last few days. Yeah, you know, on that about turkeys voting for Christmas, I actually think it'd be good for League Two um, because, you know, there are about five or six teams at the bottom of that division which are very poor. You know, they'd struggle to survive. You know, as we've seen this season with Scunthorpe and Oldham, you know, when the teams come down, they do struggle. Um, and I think it would actually improve the quality of League Two, because, you know, rather than having to finish outside of the bottom two, you're then potentially having to finish outside the bottom three. And people have to be that little bit, you know, bit, bit better. And I actually think for the teams coming down, you know, that potentially the likes of Gillingham and Colchester, they'd be in favour because... They suddenly think, well, perhaps we don't have to be as good next year because there's three spots up for grabs rather than two. So, yeah, I think it's a good thing. Um, not bitter as a talkie fan, given that we'd probably be in the Football League now if we'd have got this three years earlier. But, you know, we've seen with the quality of the teams going up. A lot of teams could survive comfortably in that league. Um, and it's, a, it's all only positive. And if it doesn't happen, a Daily Mail will blame Harry and Meghan. So there we go. Uh... <laughs> Also, Dickie, interesting, the streaming platforms have started to take place. But um, I think you're going to point out it didn't really affect the Boxing Day attendances, did it? Well, just as we were talking about those games, just as we were running through the division and the, and the number of times, you know, we've seen people remarking about, you know, there was a record attendance at this ground and a really healthy attendance at, you know, others. Um, given the fact that, yeah, the streaming platform is new and the technology isn't necessarily... Um, the technology is there, but actually the, the habit of fans going to it for their for where they get their football maybe isn't embedded yet. But given that it was available and that Christmas is a time where people spend time with families and actually trying to get away from that to, to go to a football match isn't maybe always the easiest. I think the fact that we had really, really well attended games in the National League yesterday was yet another um, 
feather in the National League's cap in terms of, um, you know, the uh, just the quality of the product. You know, the the fact that people were willing to get out their armchairs and get out there to watch games yesterday in really, really healthy numbers is just another really good sign for the league. And coming up next, we're going to look at the National League North. If you see somebody showing any of the signs of a stroke, you don't have to think about it. You just dial 999. Use the FAST test. F. Face. Has their face fallen on one side? Can they smile? A. Arms. Can they raise both arms and keep them there? S. Speech. Is their speech slurred? T. Time. Time to call 999 if you see any one of these signs. Act fast. Make the call. Dial 999. In the National League North, it's Darlington who were top, but uh, they were involved in the game of the day, weren't they? Yeah, they were. I mean, this was a, a, a always looked like a good fixture from the outside. Uh, Darlington against Scarborough on Boxing Day at Blackwell Meadows. Over 3,000 fans there, another fantastic attendance uh, at step two. And they saw a really, really good game as well. Um, Jacob Hazel, a man that Darlington... Uh, fans have, have come to love this season and Scarborough fans will know well from the fact that he was at Whitby last season he put them ahead after a quarter of an hour but yeah by half time Scarborough had gone into the lead and it looked like some fairly abject defending from Darlington um, from the, the the highlights that I've watched Kieran Glynn taking the, the ball off a Darlington defender trying to play out from the back and then just strolling through to score Dom Tia then putting them ahead on the stroke of half time with a close range finish Um Darlington came back in the second half. Mark Beck, he's joint leading scorer in the division. His 13th goal of the season with a typical far post header from him. But yeah, late in the game, Michael Coulson, he's so often the man who makes a difference for Scarborough. Um, he was found in space probably just around the penalty spot. Looked like he'd been fouled as well. He was going to ground as he actually got his shot away and, and beat Tommy Taylor to his right-hand side. Took all three points for Scarborough. Fantastic win for them. They've also had the boost of Jonathan Greening signing a three-year contract with the club, I think, in the week just before Christmas. So it's been a very, very happy Christmas for fans of the Sea Dogs. They're um, they're up to within two points of the leaders, Darlington, and they have a game in hand. So do we count Scarborough as genuine promotion contenders this season? I think we probably have to, yeah. Joe's nodding his head in agreement as well at that one. But yeah, um, really sort of really good game. And Darlington Scarborough, two teams you wouldn't expect to be up there. And Brackley back in the, the bridesmaids position, Dickie, in, in second place, which we didn't see coming after Kevin Wilkin went. But like you say, I mean, maybe they just need to freshen things up and the changes were it's albeit they drew on Boxing Day. I, I get the feeling that that was maybe what, what has and what was felt was needed to happen. I think maybe if there is... Um, any lingering resentment there it's maybe the fact that Brackley could have made that decision in the summer um rather than you know get two months into the season before they did that I think perhaps Kevin Wilkin deserved to be treated a little better than that given how you know good and how good a job he'd done at Brackley and how he'd built them up but yeah Roger Johnson is now in charge it was a much anticipated local derby yesterday Brackley and Banbury. There's not a lot of love lost between these two, one in Northamptonshire, one in Oxfordshire. Um, I know the fans were really looking forward to this one. Over a thousand at Brackley, which is a really good league attendance for them. And they led. Adam Rooney had them ahead in the 64th minute, but Henry Landers equalised for Banbury 10 minutes from time. So it was on as even. It was a midday kickoff. It was the first game in the division. I think that was probably just to um, 
make sure that fans didn't have the opportunity to enjoy the Christmas spirit a bit too much before going into St. James Park. But it sounds like they saw a reasonable game. Yeah, Bambria, after their good start, they stumbled, but they're back up to sixth as well now. They've, they've recovered a bit, haven't they? Yeah, they did have a little bit of a stumble. They were I, they were going absolute great guns. You know, they, they they came into the division and looked as if that confidence that they had from winning the the, the Southern Premier Central by such a big margin last season was just going to carry them on and on and on. Um, they did have a little bit of a wobble, sort of November time, I think. But yeah, um, they've they look like they've got back on it now. They're a good footballing side. They're not a side who are especially physical so they don't um go into battle against other teams they do like to get the ball down and play and maybe that's been a little bit of a factor you know as pitches start to deteriorate into the the, the middle of the season um that they found it a little bit harder to implement that style but um yeah they, they are a, a a pretty decent team under Andy Wing and they've got to be pleased with where they are in the playoff positions at Christmas yeah, and another big derby, Kingsland, uh, they won away at Boston to stay in fourth and, and they've got games in hand as well. So teams will be looking over the shoulder. Yes, they will. Another big attendance at this game, although I haven't got it to hand. I think there was nearly 500 made the trip from Kings Lynn. Um, bit of extra spice in this one, of course, in that the Boston manager, Ian Culverhouse, is the former manager of Kings Lynn who got them promoted from this division two, three seasons ago. Um, he wasn't able to... Uh, get one over on his old team yesterday was Kings Lynn, who um, they've got three games in hand. So they they are off the top spot. They're in fourth, but they have got games in hand and they're a fully professional side as well. So as much as we might, you might normally look at the situation and go, well, you know, is fixture congestion um, going to play a role? But, you know, with them being full time, you would think that perhaps um, it wouldn't be. It, it happened quite late for them yesterday. Goals from uh, Golda Mateo and then Ollie Scott in injury time to get the win. And, yeah, I think given that that was um, um, at the the new uh, Boston Community Stadium, I, I believe it was a record attendance for Boston since they were last in the Football League. Yeah, the biggest crowd at the, the new stadium. And like you say, the biggest crowd since he dropped out of the EFL. And um, like you mentioned before we started recording, Dickie, off the field, they seem to be getting it right. But on the field, it's it's a real struggle. They're just above that relegation zone, aren't they? Yeah, they made a change early in the season. They were one of the first teams to, to do that. Paul Cox went after some pretty uninspiring results in the early parts of the season, particularly at home where they were conceding sackfuls of goals. Um in Ian Culverhouse, you know, he's he will there will be an implementation of a different style going on there. Um, and he's having to recruit and and you know augment his team as the season goes on. Um, I've no doubt it is a bit disappointing for Boston given that you know, moving to the new stage stadium and you know the, the stage seemed to be set for um you know a step up for Boston United, but you know, if if the things they're doing right off the field can underpin what goes on um, on the pitch, that's probably the better order to to get it into. You know, if if owners often have this dilemma, don't they? Of do you make off the field investment to try and get the income which will augment the on field side? I know fans would like to see the money spent on the playing side of things, but if the playing side of things doesn't work and you haven't got it underpinned by income off the field you can find yourself in a spiral so maybe it is 
the right order in which to do things. But yeah, as, as Joe has pointed out there, the the, the difference between Ian Culverhouse and Paul Cox in football style is is a big one. So it, it, there is um, a rebuilding job going on partway through the season, which isn't easy. I think Boston will be absolutely fine. I don't see them being in any uh, danger of being in the bottom four. But I think, unfortunately, given where they are, their their hopes of being a playoff side as minimum this season have probably gone. Yeah, filed. They're in the last playoff spot. They slipped up at home to Charlotte. They have got plenty of games in hand on the teams above them and they are full-time. So can you see them shooting up the table? Although since Adam Murray's coming, it's not been amazing for them, has it? It's been a little bit underwhelming um, under Adam Murray, I have to say. Um, uh, we said before we we started recording this that I, I don't think Fylde were necessarily expecting to have to be dealing with the change of manager, but obviously the, the, the storm that surrounded James Rowe was just too much for them to be able to, you know, try and ride that out when they had to make a change. Rowe um, resigned his position and they took a long time to find another manager as well. I did comment on that at the time in that, you know, they seem to be giving Andy Taylor opportunity as a caretaker but but we we did the longer and longer it went the more you thought well are the, are they going to give it to taylor are they looking for somebody else um adam or coming with a, a good reputation as a number two higher up but i don't think his spell as manager of boston was particularly overwhelming i don't think it's rem- remembered with any great fondness by fans over in lincolnshire and um yeah the, it it you know, a defeat against local rivals, Chorley, a full-time side against a part-time side yesterday. Um, goals from Connor Hall. Um, he equalised one from Sia uh, Legenza in the, the first half. And then, yeah, John Ushtabashi um, with a goal in the 84th minute, winning it for Chorley. So um, they're going to face one another again in a few days' time. And, um, yeah, I think Chorley will be fancying their chances of making it six out of six. And they've snuck up as well, Charlie, haven't they? When Jamie Vermiglio went, everybody thought, you know, at the end of that, the end of that cycle, how will Charlie cope? And they kind of had a slow start, but now they're really fine under Andy Priest, aren't they? They are. They're going well. Yeah, I mean, Andy Priest was number two to Jamie Vermiglio, and I don't think it's any secret that he was a pretty hands-on number two as well. There, he wasn't just sort of like a sounding board for for Jamie Vermiglio. That he did do more than his fair share of, of the actual coaching of the team. They didn't really lose anybody over the summer. I wouldn't say they necessarily added anybody either. Um, but from a, a bit of a sticky start, they would once again look like they're a side that that, that could be a playoff contender. And the other, the other team in the players were Chester. You, you saw them first-hand, didn't you, Dickie? In the only goalless draw in the division. I did, just my luck. Yes, the, the, there was uh, only one game that didn't feature any goals yesterday. It was Chester's goalless draw at Telford. Um, I thought Chester, they moved the ball very well. I thought they lacked a bit of cutting edge on the day. They they had, um, you know, a, a fairly good front three. And they've got Charlie Caton on loan from Shrewsbury Town. They've got Cole Hall and they've got Kurt Willoughby, um, who has been finding the net with some regularity. But Telford did a pretty good job on them defensively, I have to say. They didn't um, uh, test Luke Pulling that much. And I think Telford actually had the better opportunities to win the game, even though um, th- the football wasn't as eye-gatching from Telford. Um, 
I mean, just to touch on them briefly, clearly they remain bottom. Um, it is looking an increasingly tough task um, for Kevin Wilkin if he's going to get Telford out of this situation. They are improving, but the question is, can they improve quickly enough? Funny enough, in the division, there was only one home win across the National League North. A lot of away wins for the top side, a lot of draws. The only home win was, was Alfred beating Boston, uh, beating Buxton in the Derbyshire derby there um but some other eye-catching results as well wasn't the dicky yeah there were a few around him i don't think anybody would have been too surprised by spending more towns three one win at blythe even though spending more they're very inconsistent this season two goals from rob ramshaw there helped them get the job done um kers national and southport's one all draw probably isn't the you know the the a, a fantastic result for either side but you know you you take a point on the road if you're southport um Lemington against... a big one into it i think dicky catherine's probably yes a big it is there. yeah it is i mean the peterborough sports have been going very well and peterborough sports in the summer i remember we spoke to their chairman grant biddle on this uh podcast they took a couple of players from kettering and captain connor kennedy uh and connor johnson the central defender as well almost to try and be statement signings to say that, you know, look, we aim to compete in this division. They certainly have done so, but it was Kennedy who was at the centre of that yesterday. He picked up two yellow cards before half-time, um, was back in the dressing room, well ahead of his teammates, um, with their side down to 10 men. Uh, Kettering then took the lead with a Frank Maguire penalty in the 62nd minute. He's on loan from Sheffield United, I think. Dan Lawler equalised another goal from the penalty spot, 73rd minute. But then Gary Storer, a Kettering, I'm going to say a Kettering veteran. He's a Kettering stalwart. He always seems to be, you know, a, a part of that side. And he scored the winner with five minutes left. So pretty disappointing result for Peterborough Sports that one yesterday. It was a game that they'd very much been looking forward to with the, the local rivalry um, and a much needed win for Kettering as well. I think that's their first away win of the season and a, and a big confidence booster for them. We've talked about Kidderminster a lot on this podcast. Uh, Russ Penn under huge pressure, big win for them away at Hereford. I suppose you've got to flip it now, Dick, and say, is Josh Gowling underachieving at Hereford? Um, possibly. I mean, Josh Gowling was, I won't say handicapped by, but he did lose his number two, a very experienced man in Steve Burr earlier this season who went to become manager of Hensford Town although he has now actually left Hensford whether he would return to Hereford I'm I'm not sure um Kidderminster were a little bit hamstrung going into this game yesterday as well in that they had Joe Leesley their recent signing and um Shane Byrne I think they were stuck in traffic on the motorway for an awful uh long time and 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 there was some question about whether they were going to get there in time um I think Russ Penn had to name an 11 um, that didn't feature them in the starting 11 um, and they, they had to go into the substitutes bench instead in case they didn't appear. Um, but yeah, a player they've got on loan from Liverpool, Jack Byrne, he scored the winner um, in the first half for Kidderminster and that's a really good result for them as well. I mean, it's a, it's another game that attracts a big crowd. That Herefordshire-Worcestershire rivalry is is quite a, a big one in that part of the world. Um, Hereford, are they underachieving? I think there were, there were people tipping them for a playoff spot this season and they're, they're not quite at that level. I think um, goal scoring seems to be the problem for Hereford, I would say. They look a fairly decent side defensively, but whether they find the net enough is the question. Um, Kidderminster, again, they were certainly tipped to be a, a playoff side. They've had um, 
various issues and we know that Russ Penn's come under a little bit of pressure there. Um, I don't think either of them are out of it, but you wouldn't say either of them look like they're you know, contenders to really make a run for, for, for a playoff spot this season either. Yeah, as you mentioned, Curzon Ashton and Southport, they drew a New Yorkshire derby between Bradford Park, having and Farsley, that finished 1-1 as well. And also Leamington and Gloucester, they drew one apiece. And we're going to move on and look at the National League South. And in the National League South, Joe, well, the eye-catching game was Ebsfleet against Dartford. And uh, Ebsfleet are stumbling a little bit, aren't they? Um, they lost 4-1 at home to Dartford. All the goals came in the first half. Yeah, yeah, if you uh, if you missed the start of the game, then you certainly would have missed a fair few goals. Obviously, Dartford racing into a 3-0 lead, um, 2-0 up inside five minutes. And, you know, Alan Dowson, as we talked at the start of the season, he's a very experienced manager. He's got promoted out of this division before. And in a one-off game, the one, you know, that certainly um, it's my opinion, it, you may think differently, but I think if there's one manager in this division you'd want to win one game of football in a one-off, it would be Alan Dowson. You know, he gets his teams sorted, they're organised, um, and certainly yesterday they were far the better side, and that's such is the race for promotion. Um, obviously, haven't losing yesterday, which would be a real slip-up for them, but that's now 50 up for each of the three sides, all three sides, Ebbsfleet, haven't and Dartford have all scored 50 goals in the league. And uh, Dartford will be hoping that having now taken the lead um, at the summit going into 2023, that they can end the season top of the league as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's back-to-back league defeats for them. We're going to shoot straight to the bottom because the defeat just before Christmas came against Chesson, rather surprisingly. And Chesson followed that with a really good win over Concord. And they looked dead and buried a few weeks ago, Chesson, but now they're only out. They're only in the relegation zone on a goal difference. So you've got Hampton and Richmond and Concord just ahead of them. And it was Concord who Chesson beat. Uh, yeah, you know, it's especially at this level, if you win a couple of games, you're suddenly back in it. And certainly for, for Chesson, that's a, a really good win. They wouldn't have expected to beat Ebbsfleet, um, but... The, a home game against Concord is the sort of game that they need to win if they're to stay up. So having done so well against Ebsfleet, all those efforts that they did in the week to, to beat them, to then follow up with a win against Concord is really good for them. And it's nice to see that, you know, they're starting to find their feet, I'd say, at National League South level. They knew it was going to be tough, but a good couple of wins for them. And, uh, you know, they've just got to try and keep building on that going into the new year now. Yeah, as you mentioned, behind Ebsfleet and Dartford at the top is Hanford and Waterlooville. Uh, last Boxing Day, of course, they were humiliated at Dorking. And this time they're at home against Eastbourne Borough, but they lost by two goals to one. And can we officially declare it a two-horse race for the title? Ah, haven't too far behind. Um, I wouldn't say so, no. I think haven't, you know, they're only two points behind, albeit haven't played a game more. And, you know, so I expect Ebsfleet will get back on there their high horse and get a couple of wins together and probably still win the division. Um, but I think, you know, I think haven't will still be there or thereabouts. As I say, they've got a good manager. They've got a very good squad. And yes, they didn't win yesterday, um, but you would still expect them to be there come the end. So I think it's still a three horse race for now, but if haven't are to stay in the mix, then they can't afford to keep dropping points in games, especially when Ebb's fleet, who look like the team to beat, you can't really drop more points when Ebbsfleet do lose. 
Yeah, congratulations as well to Scotty Davis. He secured his first win as Slough manager. Two goals from Alfonso Tenconi did the damage there as they won 3-1 away at Oxford City. And as we mentioned, with Chesson winning, that was a much-needed win for Slough in the end because Hampton and Richmond Borough, they lost 3-2 away at Worthing. Yeah, big win for, for Slough, and I'm delighted for Scott, you know, to get a win on the board. Um, you know, we I spoke to him earlier in the season and he said, you know, was, I, I gave them the jinx at the start that I said they'd be sort of best of the rest, as it were, in the National League South. And he agreed they had a very good squad. He said the one thing they did miss coming into the season was a goal scorer, you know, someone that was going to get the goals. And having departed in the summer, um, he's now back, re-signed recently. Um, and to get two goals yesterday, Tenconi, that'll be a, a real boost for them. And and hopefully if he can score, you know, with the regularity he did last time he was at Slough, then they should have enough, touch wood, to, uh, to stay in the division. But a good win for them against an Oxford City side that, you know, themselves, they're pushing for the playoffs. And uh, yeah, good win for them for Slough. And obviously Chesham will be disappointed that when they do win, it just so happens to come on the day when Slough win. Yeah, Worthing won 4-3 against Hampton, by the way, not 3-2. I, I got rid of a goal for both sides there, so apologies. Um, I was like a human VAR there, chalking them off. Hungerford, draw, wouldn't have done them any good against Farnborough. Also, Weymouth, their recent revival uh, that, that came to a halt. They lost 2-1 at home to Tombridge. And Chippenham, they're in the bottom two. I mean, they had a good FA Cup run, as we know, so they got games to catch up, but a rare away win for them. So, mixed day for the sides at the bottom. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just to touch on Taunton, obviously, as you say, Weymouth have been very good recently. Really good upturning fortunes for them under Bobby Wilkinson. But Taunton, who have been very good at home, but not so good away, you know, good win for them. And that will be really good for Rob Dre. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of Lee Lucas. I said on the podcast before, and I will actually get to see them play against my team in the FA Trophy next round of that um, at Playmore. So that'll be good. And Obviously, Chippenham, they did win yesterday. 3-1 win for them, bouncing back after their defeat. Funny enough to talk in the FA Trophy in midweek. Um, but obviously, Bath, although they did lose, the real victory for them was to see Alex Fletcher back on the pitch for them, perhaps not playing, but he came on and had a nice round of applause. And I know Jerry Gill, the Bath manager, said that, yes, they would have liked to have won yesterday and put in a good performance, but the real victory for them was seeing him back and uh, and that's a real boost for them. It's a nice, a bit of a Christmas miracle, as you say, but uh, nice to see him back uh, and getting a, a nice reception. Yeah, two teams in the playoffs, both with good wins. Chelmsford, they won 2-0 at home to Braintree and a couple of goals for Zane Banton saw St Albans win 3-1 away at Hemel Hempstead and Chelmsford pretty consistent, St Albans less so, but they're still strongly in those playoffs. Yeah, I mean, Chelmsford, you know, they continue to go strong. They've done really well this season under Robbie Simpson and uh, they'll be pleased to get back to, to winning ways. Um, and obviously St Albans, you know, they're, they're always going to stand a chance when they've got people like Sean Jeffers up front who got another goal yesterday to add to his uh, to his tally. And obviously Zane Banton, who's uh, a really, really good attacking player as well. And two sides that will hope that they can finish the season uh, in the playoffs, and uh, obviously Chelmsford look the, the better of the two as things stands. Yeah, Welling won 1-0 away at Tombridge, thanks to Adi Aziz, and Dulwich and Dover, they played out a 1-1 draw, both goals coming in the first half of that one. Anything else stand out for you, Joe? 
no, other than it's a good win or much needed win for, for Welling. You know, I've talked a lot on this podcast about how Warren Feeney is under pressure. You know, he's he's signed, you know, they've got a bigger budget this year than they have done in the past. They've signed a lot of ex-National League players, um, you know, some of which are ex-Football League players. Um, and they've been struggling, really struggling. And I know looking on just looking on Twitter, their fans are very disappointed with how they've done this season. So a big win for them. And uh, hopefully that can give them the catalyst to go on and... Uh, have a really good 2023 because certainly they've got the squad on paper to compete, um, but perhaps they haven't shown it so far. Well, well, that is it. Thank you very much for joining us. Give us a follow on Twitter at NL Full Time and we're on Instagram as well. Uh, we'll be back after the new year. So have a very happy new year, everyone, and we'll see you all very soon. Bye.